Great. So, yeah, last week I talked about the word obey uh, used in the Bible and we looked at the Hebrew and the Greek um, and learned the biblical obedience, you know, it's not just about a do what I say because I say so right now sort of attitude, you know, which I think is helpful to remember because, you know, we can easily get that way with other people. Um, you know, a, a this is God's rule, you're supposed to do this, obey this sort of attitude can come over us, right? I know I've been guilty of that in my time. But true biblical obedience is not a standalone action. Obedience is about listening, paying attention to and responding to what we've heard. It's a response to and a result of our faith in God. It's an outworking of our faith. So the action of obedience isn't just, you know, just doing, sorry. The action of obedience, if you're thinking about it as just doing the thing, um, that, that isn't God's goal for us. It's an outcome. It's the fruit of what's going on in our hearts. You know, when our kids, and I talked a lot about parenting last week, but when our kids don't obey, you know, we can either threaten, punish, guilt trip, coerce, whatever into obedience so that we get the action we want, or we can actually look deeper at what might be going on to cause them not to do what we've asked. It might be simple as, you know, lack of skills, lack of understanding. Maybe they've got a different goal to us. Um, and we talked last week about wills and our, how at a young age we, ha we develop our will and we have things that we want our way. So why then do we sometimes not obey God? Last week I talked about how Paul relates to us in, in Romans 7 when he talks about how he knows what he should do but doesn't do it. Because when we're a slave to sin as opposed to living by the Spirit, sin takes over. We doubt you know, did God really say? That's what happened when sin first entered the world. The serpent questioned Eve. Did God really say you can't eat from any fruit in the garden? Let's have a look at that in Genesis 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the fruit trees Eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. So the serpent questioned, as he does, as the devil does, did God really say? Did God really say you can't eat from any fruit from any tree in the garden? Now Eve knew that that, that wasn't what God said, because he didn't say that, but it put some doubt in her mind. And, and then he twisted the truth. You know, he said, you won't die. And no, not physically. When they ate it, they didn't just die in that moment, but it brought sin and death into the world a world that previously had none. And he was right. They gained the wisdom and knowledge of good and evil. And ever since then, we as humanity have been trying to decide what's right and wrong and good and evil for ourselves instead of listening to God and his word, paying attention to what he has to say on matters and responding to that instead of just making up our own mind. So again, why do we not obey God? Sometimes because we want to make up our own mind or we have made up our own mind on what's right and wrong, and we've ignored or twisted what God has said. Let's look again. I just covered it last week, but let's have a look in Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 7, 21, 25. 
says, Paul says, I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to, to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God, the answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Romans 8 continues, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things, but those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of God, of Christ living in them, do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus, Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living in you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So I ask again, why do we not obey God sometimes? Because of sin. Because ever since that moment in the garden, we humans wanted to decide for ourselves. Because we allow sinful nature to control us. Because we don't trust Him, we think we know better. John Bevere defines sin as rejection of the law or will of God and the substitution of the will of self. How do we overcome that? We live by the Spirit. Because of what Jesus did, we don't have to let our sinful nature make our decisions if we give it over to God and let His Spirit live inside us and transform us. Now, this is a daily thing to do. Yes, we make a decision at one point in our life. Maybe we pray a prayer and maybe you want to do that later on today at the end of my message. But that doesn't mean we suddenly just live by the Spirit in everything we do all the time. It's all part of the journey. It's a daily decision. Okay, so we all struggle to obey because we all struggle with sin. So why should we obey God and how does He help us do that? Well, God uses kindness to bring us into obedience. Romans 2 verse 4 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? We listen and obey because of love, connection and relationship, not because we're made to through fear or coercion. 
Firstly, because what God asks of us is trust, is love, is joy, is honour. And none of these things can be awakened or sustained by threats of punishment. You know, if you don't feel trust for someone, they put a gun to your head and say, unless you trust me, I'll kill you. What happens? You can't make that trust rise in, in your heart. You can't force, sorry, you can. You can force yourself. You can act a certain way that can look like trust. But the true affection and heart, of heartfelt trust can't be coerced by threats. Neither can love, joy or honour. That's just simply not the way the human heart works. Now, does the world use fear to get you obey? To get you to obey? Yes, sometimes. You know, be afraid of beating because you might get a fine. Be afraid of sugar. Don't eat that. Do what I say, or I'll send you to your room. To be relevant right now, you know, be afraid of the virus. Be afraid of the vaccine. Don't trust the government. I'm not getting into all of that. I don't. But I don't care what side of that you stand on. There's fear on all sides of that. But thankfully, God doesn't want us to do what he wants because we're afraid of him. Again, John Bevere, he describes the fear of the Lord as the fear, not a fear of him, but a fear of being away from him. Because we love, trust, honour and revere him so much and know what goodness comes from that, we don't want to be outside of that. We don't want to be away from that, especially knowing how much of the opposite of that is in the world. We can obey God because he sees the bigger picture. You know, when we're trying to do the whole, I get to decide what's right and wrong thing. Um, you know, sometimes an authority might ask us to do something and we find ourselves sure, listening, paying attention and responding accordingly. Now, that doesn't mean that you decide whether you think that's right or wrong and respond according to that. God sees the bigger picture. So when we're obeying other authorities, it's actually about our trust in God. He calls us to obey our parents. He calls us to obey the governing authorities. He says, submit to your husband's wives. Now, let's not forget as well that God has commands for those authorities too. For example, as parents, sometimes we can get caught up in the whole kids or children obey your parents verse. As parents, that's not our verse. Our verse is after that. It says, it says, um, do not exacerbate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Yes, the Bible says wives submit to your husbands, but it also says husbands love your wives. Make decisions for your life that are what's best for her. Now, it's not our job to be making the authority do the thing that they're called to do. Just as when we're the authority, it's not our job to make someone obey. Now, I'm not saying that you, um, you just have to do everything always that any authority figure says. Um, I won't get into it all, but a simplified way to look at it is, you know, we should not obey if we're being instructed to do something that God has forbidden, and we should not be forbidden to do something that God has instructed us to do. You know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego refused to bow down to the king's image and worship him as a god, worship him above God. Daniel refused to stop praying to God. Paul went to prison for preaching the gospel. Anyway, you know, when we're being asked to obey our parents, our pastors, leaders, authorities, God, it's not actually even about the thing that we're being asked to do. It's about trusting God and not necessarily trusting the other authority. We might not have the same faith or trust in them, but God sees the bigger picture in the situation. His ultimate goal is our relationship with him, our faith in him. It's him we have to trust. 
And we can't always see how things are going to work out. But he knows. Yes, we want to be able to have faith in and trust in those other authorities, our parents, our pastors, you know. And yes, they should be looking out for us as... um, Sorry, they should be looking out for us, but we need to focus on the part that we're called to do just as they should focus on the part that they're called to do. Um, If you're a pastor, leader, a parent, authority figure, you you know, you should be focused on looking out for the thing you've got authority over. So if you're struggling with this, (laughs) when I'm saying, uh, um, sorry, I'm, what am I saying? (laughs) Uh, I'm not saying, what I'm not saying is just stop it and obey. I'm saying, okay, have a look at your heart. Where's your heart at? Where are, you trying to, where are you trying to take matters into your own hands? Where are you not trusting God? If you're trying to find a loophole, if, if we're asking, did God really say? Then that's, that's when we know our sinful nature is trying to decide right and wrong for ourselves. Now, that's not to say we shouldn't seek understanding. What did God really say? But when we seek understanding, when we seek the truth of what God says, then we're going to listen either way, even if it's not the way that we wanted it to go, because we trust God and what he says. I'm also not, I'm not talking about blind obedience to God or any other authority, but what it comes down to, as I keep saying, is about our faith and our trust in God. Sometimes that means we're not going to understand. We might not be able to see the outcome, but we have to look at where our heart is with God. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to help us, to help us live by the Spirit. That's what it all comes down to. And again, if you're on the flip side, if you're in a position of authority, a parent, a leader, um, a husband, then we need to keep our heart in the right place too, live by the Spirit in the way we lead. You know, I remember as a young teenager, the beginnings of youth ministry, there were a small group of us starting out, and I was in a position of leadership at a young age, and I remember having some very not so gracious attitudes with people and being, um, you know, in having moments of that I, yeah, bossiness, thanks, thanks dad. Uh, You know, things that I'm not proud of looking back, I was looking at people's outward behaviour and trying to change their behaviour to look obedient. But actually it wasn't, it, it was an indicator of what was going on in their heart. And you, you can't, you can change, what am I saying? Sorry, again, you You can't, I've written can, you can't, you can't change people's hearts. Only God can do that. We can alter people's behaviour, sure. There are ways to do that, but it doesn't change their heart. It doesn't really turn their heart towards God. So instead of thinking, how do I get them to obey? It should be, how can I lead them closer to God? How can I help them live by the Spirit? How can I lead them into faith and trust in God? Obedience brings glory to God. Romans 1 verse 5 says, Through Christ, God has given us the privilege and authority as apostles to tell, the, tell Gentiles everywhere that God has, sorry, what God has done for them so that they will believe and obey him, bringing glory to his name. I haven't got much more to say about that point. Obedience brings glory to God. There it is. Good chat. It does. Um, <laughs> obedience brings blessing. You know, Noah had such great faith When God commanded him to do something that was like totally beyond human comprehension in those days, he built the ark just as God told him to do. In obedience to God's command, he kept his faith and he and his whole family were saved from the flood. During the time of Joshua, the Israelites marched around the city of Jericho seven times and shouted on the seventh day just as God had told them to do. 
What happened then? Some might think, well, some, some might think, will the walls of the city really collapse if we just march around the city and shout aloud? But when they obeyed God's command, something amazing happened. It did. The walls fell down. You know, when Simon was told by Jesus to move into deeper water, let down his nets to catch some fish, the nets became so full that they couldn't hold the fish in the nets and they, they broke and then they couldn't fit them all in their boat. They had to get another boat and start filling that up too. I heard Stephen Furtick talking about this and he said it's, it wasn't about the fish. God's goal for our life is not fish, it's faith. And yes, what he asked Simon to do led him to having a lot of fish. But it also led him to have faith in Jesus. Obedience leads to more faith. And faith leads to obedience. And then obedience leads to more faith. You know, God's ways are not our ways. We're not always going to understand. It's not always going to make sense to us. God has a bigger plan, a bigger lesson, a bigger blessing than what we think we can see. God doesn't need our obedience. You know, He can find somebody else to do the thing. But He wants for us what obedience does for us. He wants our heart first. You know, I talked last week about how obedience is actually evidence and outworking that our heart is for Him, that our faith is for Him. So before I finish today, I just want to extend an invitation to you. If you're here you don't know God. You're not in a relationship with Him. Maybe you want to begin that today. Begin that faith journey. Let's all close our eyes so we're not distracted about, by what's going on around us. If you've never made that decision to believe in Jesus, you want to ask Him into your heart. Maybe you've done it before, maybe some time ago, but you know you've walked away, that you're not in a relationship with Him. We're going to pray in just a moment. And if you pray that for the first time, maybe it's a recommitment, but we want to support you in that decision. You can click the raise hand button if you're at home online. You can come and speak to me afterwards. You could come and see the people who are up here for prayer afterwards but we want to help you begin that journey. Anyway, let's pray. Repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you died for my sins and rose from the dead. I turn from my sins and invite you to come into my heart and my life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Saviour. Amen. Thank you.